0: Good morning. Oh, it's so good to see you guys. I hope that your Fourth uh, of July festivities worked out well for you. Uh, we had a conversation last night about what's your what's the favorite your favorite color of firework? White, red, red. Wrong.
1: Oh, there's a wrong.
0: Yeah, there is a wrong. Oh, okay. Yeah, Sorry. chartreuse. <laughs> How many of those did you see last night? Many. <laughs> you are hopeful. Every year, every year's a disappointment for you. So, no, the correct answer is blue. And so, if you if you don't believe that blue is the best color, then you're wrong, and you will be wrong the rest of your life. So, hey, we are we are so glad you are here. If you need um, to uh, make a connection with us, maybe this is uh, your first time, or you have a question. Uh, one of the best ways to do that is on our online connect card at uh, mergecc.com uh, slash uh, connect html still. So, um, but that's the best way of letting us know how we can pray for you. Uh, let us know if you have a question. Uh, and so, uh, that's really the main announcement I have for you today. Was there another announcement, James? Not that you can think of? Okay, that's good. If you think of something, interrupt Chris. Uh, here shortly so hey we're so glad let's take a moment let's stand to our feet let's wave at some people say it's good to see you
1: I'm about to sing a song that um, I would imagine uh, for, for most of us in the room is a difficult one. Um, the scars that we bear from, from our story, from our lives, that God has allowed. And for if you're stubborn like me, God is, is probably inflicted uh, because just some of the things that we find ourselves chasing after. But there's these scars that we have, there's these parts of our story that hurt. For us to understand that God allowed them, that there's a good possibility they're a part of our equipping for what is to come. Jesus Himself has scars. He has them for us, for the cross. And I pray that our hearts celebrate, are humbled, we remember, we reflect, So that's what this song is about.
2: You're still the only one I want to cling to.
1: You. Oh, the last thought on my mind. Father, I pray that we start our day, that we end our day with you. I pray that as we live out today, as we live out the opportunity, the road, the journey that you have set before us, that we would live it out for you every day, every moment that you grant us the good and bad are a blessing. It's hard for us to wrap our mind around. But I pray that your favor, God, would be upon us and our children and their children and their children. We know that you are for us. Therefore, nothing can defeat us. We sing this to you. We love you. Father, we say amen. This journey with this life, we say amen. We kneel before you right now in this place, our hearts laid down at your feet with the desire, the passion to grow that much closer to you, to reach our arms out and embrace you with our whole life, our whole heart, not just a piece of us. Not just a piece of us. But our thoughts would be yours. Our ways would be yours. Our love would be yours. I pray that strongholds in our lives will crumble the sound of your name, the sound of your name, the sound of your name, depression would be beats. At the sound of your name, fear would run. At the sound of your name, addiction would crumble. Say Amen. You would say Amen, Father. You welcome your Holy Spirit in this place right now. I pray that you would walk with us daily, that we would chase you, we wouldn't leave you, we would listen to your voice, feel your presence, we love you, and I pray that our words. I pray that our lives, I pray that our worship honors you, in Your Son's name. We pray these things, Amen. You guys can be seated.
0: All right. If you have your Bibles, uh, let's go ahead and open them up. Hebrews uh, chapter eight. Uh, Hebrews chapter eight is going to be in the last third of your. Uh, Bible. Uh, I'm excited uh, about diving back into our journey through the letter of Hebrews. Uh, if you are just now joining us, uh, we found a resting spot uh, really right before uh, uh, in April. I'm sorry, in February. And then we thought the plan was is after Easter we would dive back in and kind of complete it before the end of the school year. But of course, uh, those plans did not uh, happen uh, accordingly, uh, and so, but here we are in July, and we're ready uh, to rock and roll, and, and I think it's important anytime we come back to a, a series like this is that we, we take some time to remind us of, of why walking through books of the Bible is our primary uh, journey uh, through uh, the way we teach here at Merge. There we go. Uh, apparently if you don't have the mic on your ear, it doesn't help you at all. Um, thank you, none of you for helping me out with that. Um, and so, so, but I think it's important to come in and remind us why we teach through the Bible the way that we do. And I th- there's a couple of reasons. I want to give you a few um, that, that number one, uh, when we walk through the Bible verse by verse, we, we get to see passages come to life in context of, of what's been developing. And then what we see in the verses that we're reading, how that's going to have an effect on all of the verses that, that are to come. And then I think there's a, a, a very real danger in our society of creating what we call one-verse theologies, uh, where we say, well, that's definitely what God is saying about this in a definitive way. Uh, and so we, we enjoy reading the Bible in context. And then... Uh, number two, we think going this route uh, keeps us accountable to the whole word, uh, and so so even those parts that we may want to avoid, maybe those parts that that cause us to be a little uncomfortable, uh, we we want to lean into that, knowing uh, that they are the entire word of God is vital for our growth in Jesus, and and then I think thirdly, uh, if if we can encourage you. Uh, to actively engage with the Word on Sunday mornings, we think there's a better chance uh, that you will actively engage in the Word during the week, uh, and we think that by doing that, uh, we believe you can have a stronger relationship with God, and, and therefore you can be more you can have a more effective role in the story that that He's telling as you adventure with Him. Okay, so so as we come to Hebrews, uh, we I think it's a powerful letter because it has a a singular focus uh, that the writer simply wants us to look at Jesus and and look at who he is and and understand that there is no one greater in which to pledge our lives to. Uh, In fact, uh, the equation that the writer gives us is simply this. Jesus is greater than blank. And, And no matter what you try to fill that blank in, just know, this is what the writer will tell us, Jesus is greater than that, uh, and so so no matter what source of fulfillment you're looking for, no matter what source of comfort uh, you're you're looking at, no matter what source of refuge you're coming to, uh, Jesus will always be the better of those options, and and you won't find anything in which uh, that competes with him. Now that's not to say that we won't be tempted uh, or we won't even try to allow some things to compete for the throne of our hearts, but, but that belongs solely to him. And, and so we've, we've arrived in chapter 8, and uh, what, what's done, though, is we've taken 14 weeks to arrive uh, at this point, and the writer has been taking some time to help us understand this role of Jesus, And so let me, let me give you a two-minute recap on that. Uh, we open with chapter 1, where it says that, that God has always spoken to us. God has always revealed His heart to us, and in the Old Testament, we find that He spoke through the law and through the prophets, but now, uh, as Jesus has come along, He speaks through the Son who reigns, that that who Jesus is, is not a matter of opinion, but rather uh, who God has established Him to be. And then, what we learn is that uh, the first argument is that uh, Jesus is greater than angels, uh, and, and that uh, in a society where angels were worshipped, uh, the writer says, listen, Jesus is greater than the angels because the angels actually serve Him. Uh, chapter 2 takes us into a response that, in that we anchor ourselves to what is said about Jesus so we don't drift away from the truth. That, that Jesus is the Son of who brings us to glory through the suffering of His death, and and He became like us to rescue us, and He was tempted, uh, and is able to help those who are tempted. Chapter three, we have uh, the introduction of um, one of the most vital roles that Jesus serves in our lives, in that He is our our great High Priest. Okay, so from chapter three, even through today, uh, we've been talking about this role that He plays as our great high priest that not only is he greater than the angels but he's greater than than moses and he serves as the son who can soften our hard hearts chapter four reveals that jesus is the son who can provide the best rest how how he can sympathize with us and he can bring us mercy and grace and then chapter five helps us see that jesus is our source of eternal salvation who who wants us to kind of grow up in holiness and that takes us to chapter 6 where we see how, how, how God has brought us a better promise in Jesus and he seals that promise with an oath uh, that not only does God say hey I promise he says I, I'm going to enter an oath with you and then chapter 7 begins with um, this conversation about a better covenant that God makes with us through Jesus and how Jesus serves as our guarantor, meaning uh, as our high priest. He he makes the sacrifice of himself on behalf of us so that we can simply live in a restored relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so so as we get to chapter 8, the writer is going to build on these previous uh, chapters to help us understand the importance of the covenant. That God makes with his people and how he secures his promise not on on what we can muster up or or not on what we can strive to accomplish, but but rather based on what what he has done to make our relationship with him available in Jesus. So so that's kind of where we're heading today. So let's pray and then we'll get in chapter eight, verse one. Father, we come to you and we are so thankful For the opportunity to gather together, to lift high the name of your Son, to sing praises to you, to to pour out our hearts to you. And we pray in these few moments that your Holy Spirit would speak loudly to us. That we we would open your word and we would see Jesus more clearly. And that because we've seen him more clearly, our hearts would be more and more yours. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said... Amen. All right, let me give you uh, your first blank in your talk notes. Uh, chapter 8 is simply going to say this. We're going we're to make a main point, and it's simply this, that Jesus is the high priest of a better covenant. Uh, Jesus is the high priest of a better covenant. Now, what we're going to explore here in these 13 or so verses is how his role and how his covenant is better than the covenant that, that God made with Moses and the Israelites way back in the beginning of uh, the Bible, which largely was contingent on the law of God and, and, and our ability uh, to live with with weaker sacrifices offered by weaker priests. And so, uh, so what we want to answer is simply this. How does Jesus bring a better covenant? How does he do it? And there's going to be three things we're going to talk about. That number one, uh, Jesus is a superior high priest. Okay, so so let's dive in. Uh, verse number one. Now the point in what we are saying is this: we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. So so. As we get in in verse 1, the writer says, Okay, listen, if you're not following along, let me tell you what the point is. Let me make it abundantly clear. And he connects us through these seven verses, but I think you don't even have to go that far. I think you could just go to the last three verses of chapter 7, when he says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy and innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. That Jesus, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily. First for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men and their weaknesses as high priests. But the word of an oath which came later than the law. Appoints a son who has been made perfect. Forever and so, so when we look at Jesus, we have a high priest who has brought us full forgiveness of sin, uh, and, and this is evident by the fact that in, in verse one, or I'm um, sorry, uh, let me see, yeah, in verse one where it says that he was seated at God's right hand. If you like to underline or circle in your Bible, this will make you look smart. Uh, do it right there. Uh, that he is seated at the right hand, and he is seated. Because his work is completed. Uh, that, that there were no chairs in the Old Testament tabernacle because the work of the priest was never finished. And so, so each repeated sacrifice was only a reminder that, that none of the sacrifices ever provided a finished salvation. And so, so the blood of animals did not wash away sin uh, forever or cleanse the guilty conscience forever, it only covered sin until the day when Jesus could die to take away the sins of the world. Which is what, uh, as Jesus arrives on the scene way back in uh, John chapter 1, and John the Baptist sees Jesus, he declares to everybody, Hey, that's the Lamb of God. That's, that's the one who's taken away the sins of the world. And so, so Jesus is a superior high priest in the fact that he can sit down. He's seated. He has done the sacrifice that is necessary for the forgiveness of our sins. Then number two, that Jesus ministers from a better place. Verse number three, for every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he, okay, being Jesus, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. And so, so these verses are really important because, excuse me, I'm choking to death here, uh, because they tell us how Jesus ministers for us today. In, in a heavenly sanctuary that that the re- the reason the writer mentions this is because his readers knew that there was a very at the time a very real temple uh, in Jerusalem and that in that temple there were priests offering gifts and sacrifices round the clock and so so this would make it very easy for them to fall back into uh, their their previous religion they would fall back into the mosaic system and. And I think, after all, it's a fair issue that they would face because how do we know that Jesus is ministering for us today in the sanctuary called heaven? How do we, how do we know that? And I think there's a, there's a couple of answers to that. I think there's a logical approach that says, in order for Christ to be considered the great, our great high priest, he must continually be doing priestly things. That that, that title's not honorary. Uh, that, that that priests are to offer gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, Jesus must be doing this somewhere. And so since Jesus says, I am going to my Father, and my Father is in heaven, there therefore Jesus must be serving in the sanctuary in in heaven. Now, we can go to verse 4. And verse 4 brings us an answer according to Jesus' genealogy uh, by saying that if he was still on earth, he wouldn't be a priest at all. And the reason being that in order for you to be a priest in uh, Judaism, you you had to come from the tribe of Levi. Uh, well, if we follow the genealogy of Jesus, he doesn't come from Levi. He comes from, anybody? Anybody? Judah. Good job. Everybody was right. Alright? Uh, he came from the line of, of Judah, and so he was not of a priestly order. And, and so, now however, we find the writer tells us that he is our great high priest, so that can't be false. And so, We've, we talked about this, if you'll remember, months ago now, that he comes in the order of Melchizedek. And so, so it's the order of Melchizedek that governs the ministry of heaven, not the, the order of Aaron, which is where the Levites come through. Or we could go, I think most helpful is verse 5, when it explains how, how our earthly sanctuaries are a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. And so, so because Jesus is in heaven, then he serves in the, the, the true sanctuary, the original one, not, not a copy. That he's ministering in a better place. And so the argument goes like this. Why, why have fellowship with priests who are serving in a copied sanctuary when, when you can have fellowship with Christ who is in the, the original place? That, uh, it, it would be like trying to live on a blueprint rather than living inside the building itself. And so, so we have, number one, we have Jesus serves as a superior high priest and then he ministers from a better place. And then number three, and this, is, this is, to me is my favorite part because it connects us to the heart of the Father in the sense that Jesus brings us better promises. He brings us better promises. Verse, four, uh, verse 6, I mean. But as it is, Okay, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. Since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for the second. Okay, So this is important for us to realize that, that had the first covenant been faultless, there would have been no need for, for the second. And so so that first covenant leads us all the way back to Moses when he is leading the Israelites and, and he primarily served them as the mediator, a, a go between between God and the people and he entered, he brought in what we call the Mosaic Covenant. And it was a, a covenant based on the giving of the law. God says, "Hey, I want I want to teach you holiness. I want to talk to you about the standard of my holiness, and the promise was simply this: if you will live according to my law, you will find blessing. And then, if you decide to break that covenant, then you will experience wrath. Those that was the way the covenant worked, and and at first, the people of Israel uh, were so in awe of God that they feared Him, that they looked at Moses and they said, "Hey, man." Can you just be our go between? We can't take it. His the, the presence of God is so overwhelming it it, it scares us. And so so sadly they, they feared God for a while, but they didn't last long. And then the people soon disobeyed the very law that they promised to keep. They they broke covenant with God. And now however God is merciful and he's compassionate and he's willing to restore covenant breakers. Uh, by offering a new covenant with a new mediator. And, and so the mediator of the new covenant, of course, is Jesus. That He's the only mediator we will ever need because He brings a better covenant and He brings with it better promises. And, and the better covenant uh, is, is primarily first referred to us way back in Jeremiah 31. You don't have to turn there because the writer is just going to rip it off. He's just going to remind us what God says in that covenant. Now, now this promise was given in a prophecy that assured the Jews of future restoration. Now, if you don't know much about what was going on in the time of Jeremiah, uh, God had, had given judgment on His people and He says, I'm sending the Babylonians and they're going to take you into captivity. You will not be your own people any longer. You will be subject uh, to Nebuchadnezzar. And and the promise here was given to assure them of a future restoration. And so so at a time when the nation's future seemed completely destroyed, God comes in and He says, listen, you can always lean on My promise. You can always trust that I will restore you and I will bless you and I will move upon you. And so, so when Jesus... Let's jump ahead a couple of centuries from that point. Uh, When Jesus is in the upper room having the Last Supper with his disciples, he takes the bread and he breaks it. And then he pours the wine and he says, this is the blood of my covenant. And he says, this is the new covenant that is coming into play. And so, So what happens is helpful because Jesus is the completion of both a major Old Testament promise and a current covenant that God has made with us even through today. So, so he fulfills the law which we broke and he secures the new covenant in his work for us as our great high priest with, with better promises. Now, before we talk about those promises, we need to understand the existence of the new covenant does not mean the old covenant was wrong or that the law has no place in our lives because it very much does there, there's some people who will read the Bible and say well uh, if Jesus fulfilled the law of God then we no longer have to obey the law of God and that's just false uh, it doesn't work that way that Jesus completes it so that when God looks at us and we are found in him God says the law has been fulfilled not on our own abilities but on who Jesus is and so so both covenants uh, were given uh, by God both covenants were given for the people's good. And both covenants had blessings attached to them. If Israel had not broken covenant with God, he would have blessed them and they would have been ready for the coming of their Messiah. And so, so even though uh, the new covenant of grace brings with it freedom from the law of Moses, it does not bring freedom to disobey God and to sin. It doesn't. In fact, uh, God still desires uh, the righteousness of the law so that it should be fulfilled in us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so so now let's look at what some of these better promises are. uh, From, really, we're going to find it in Hebrews chapter 8, but it's repeated from Jeremiah 31. Uh, The first promise is this. We find a promise of God's grace. We find the promise of God's grace. For He finds fault with them when He says... Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers, on the day when I took them... And listen to how God describes His treatment of His children. When I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I show no concern for them declares the Lord. And this wasn't God changing course. He said, this is the consequence of your actions. And so so the emphasis of the new covenant is on the fact that God says, I will establish. I will establish. The nation at, of Israel at Sinai made a promise to God that they would live according to His ways, but they did not obey. And so, so it's one thing... To, to say you'll do something it's quite another to actually do it. But but the new covenant does not depend on man's faithfulness but to God, but but on God's faithful promise to man. Does that make sense? That the new covenant does not depend on man's faithfulness to God, but on God's faith being a faithful promise he makes to us. And so so the writer of Hebrews affirms that God says I will on behalf of those who trust Jesus. In fact, you can just note that uh, in verses 8 through 12, uh, there are six times when God says, I will. And it's, I think it's an important practice, anytime we're reading the Bible, that when we see God make a promise, we make a note of it. And then we have to ask ourselves, do I believe that? Do I believe that He really means that for me? Because if I don't, then everything else in my life falls apart. But when God comes in and he says, I will, you can be sure that he does that because for him to be a liar destroys everything. And so, so when he comes in and he says, I will, that's, it's important to note that God did not find fault with his covenant, but with his people. That's what we find in Romans chapter 7. And the problem is not with the law, but with our sinful natures. For for by ourselves we cannot keep God's law. That's what Hebrews 7.19 was telling us. Because it cannot change. The law, God's law, could not change in any human heart. Only God's grace can do that. And so we get the, the promise of, of God's grace. Number two, we get the promise of, of internal change. Verse 10. For this, is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. The, that the law could declare God's holy standard, but it can never provide the power needed for obedience. It couldn't. So, so sinful people... Need a new heart they need a new disposition within them and this is what uh, just what the new covenant provides that that when a sinner trusts Christ he receives the Holy Spirit who creates both a love a, a desire to love and obey God by nature sinful people are hateful and disobedient to God in fact by nature sinful people are just hateful but the new nature gives each believer both a desire and the dynamic to pursue holiness, to live according to God's standard. And I don't, I don't want to appear to be mean about sinners because that's—I—I I was one at times. I am tempted to be one. Uh, and so when I say when I say that they're they're just mean and they're wicked and they're sinful, that's just by nature, who they are apart from Christ. That's who all of us are apart from Christ. So maybe that should give us some allowance for some grace with some people uh, who are far from God, who have not found life in Christ. So we get the promise of internal change, and then we also get the promise of forgiveness for all. And they, this is God speaking, and they shall not teach each one uh, his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. God says, I will make myself evident to them from the least of them to the greatest for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. So this is, as the new covenant comes to us, as as we walk in life with Jesus, this is the promise when God looks at us, He says, I will be merciful toward your iniquities and I will remember your sins no more. You will be free from guilt and shame. That there is no forgiveness under the law because the law was not given for that purpose. The law could not promise forgiveness to Israel, let alone all of mankind. The law was a placeholder until a sacrifice, till the sacrifice of Jesus, where forgiveness is made possible to all who call on Him. So the Old Testament sacrifices brought a remembrance of sin, but not a remission of it. So then, uh, fourthly, the last promise we're going to talk about is the promise of eternal blessing. That God looks and He says, in speaking of a new covenant, I'm sorry, this is the writer, uh, in speaking of a new covenant, He makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So Warren Wearsby, his commentary on this verse is really helpful to me. It says the old covenant was still governing the nation of Israel at the time this epistle was written. The the temple was standing and the priests were offering their appointed sacrifices. Devout Jews probably thought that their Christian friends were foolish to abandon such a solid religion for a faith that was seemingly for a faith that was seemingly intangible. And what the unbelieving Jews did not realize was that their solid religion had grown old with the sacrifice of Jesus and was about to vanish away. In fact, in A.D. 70, the city of Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed by the Romans and the Jews have not had a temple or a priesthood to serve them ever since. However, the New Covenant... Uh, brings eternal blessing, that, that Jesus Christ is the author of eternal salvation and, the, and eternal redemption, that, that the new covenant can never get old and can never disappear. In fact, the Greek word translated new means new in quality, not in new in time. And so this new covenant is such uh, quality that it will never need to be replaced. And understand this, the old covenant was always going to be replaced with the new one. Always. Because we were always waiting for a Messiah who would bring us an ultimate sacrifice. And so this new covenant is of such quality that it'll never need to be replaced. Yes, our Lord is ministering on the basis of a better covenant, a new covenant that makes us partakers of the new nature and the wonderful new life that only Christ can give. Okay, so let's let's start wrapping this up, Swan. So so I talked for 25, 35 minutes. I don't know. Somebody wouldn't figure this out at some point. Okay? About a new covenant. And the question is simply this. Why is it important to talk about old covenants and new covenants? Why is it important that we talk about Jesus serving as our great high priest? Why do we... Why do the words found in Jeremiah 31 why does it matter? And it matters a great deal to us because they help us they help teach us something incredible about God's heart for us. It's very easy to get lost in books like Hebrews and say I don't I don't understand the theology at a heart at a practical heart level. And here's what I want you to understand that we have the new and the better covenant because God loves us. That's it. Not that he looked at us and he says, well, I guess they deserve something better. And not that they, God looks at us and says, well, I guess they earned something better. He says, no, my heart is the fact that I've made you and I care about you and I love you and I want you so close to me that I will make the way possible. The Old Covenant was required of bringing these sacrifices for the the covering of our sins. But the New Covenant says that I will bring the ultimate sacrifice that will release you from your sin. It will release you from bondage that keeps you at bay. Now why is that important? That we would understand the Father's heart. And I think it's simply for this reason we are not very good covenant keepers. By and large. I'm not saying you specifically. I'm saying, by and large, we as people are not good covenant keepers. We will make promises to each other that we will too flippantly break. And we'll do do something like this. My bad. We will tell people we will be there and then in that time when they really need us, we won't be there. We see this ravaging uh, marriages. We see this ravaging friendships and, and relationships. That we are not good covenant keepers. And understand this, that that when it comes to our relationship with God, we are sealed in a covenant with Him. That's why we, we have images that come to mind that remind us of our promises that we have made to Him. One of them being the cross, that when... We see a cross and we remember the covenant that God made with us, the promise that He has made with us, that all of our sins can be forgiven in Christ and Christ alone. We get to see that. We get to experience that. We open our word as a reminder that that we told God that we care about what He cares about. And so we want to make sure that we spend time putting our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength into the things that He cares about the most. That we should be covenant keepers. And the beauty of what we find in Hebrews is that when we look to Jesus, we find a complete promise from God that we are sealed as His kids. And so, the good news for us is that God is merciful every moment of every day to us. That He doesn't say, hey, when you when you sin, you are no longer forgiven. He says that all of your sins are forgiven in Christ. So the ones we did that Embarrass us from our past, the ones we are tempted to do now, the ones we will do in our future, have all been covered by Jesus. And what that should do, okay, and this isn't me talking, this is what the Bible will say. What that should do, the awareness of that, what it should do is draw your heart closer to the Father. That He has entered into covenant with you. That he loves you immeasurably. So we have confidence to go into the throne room of the Father. That's why I love Jesus. Because he comes in and says, I'm going to bring you this. I'm going to bring you something better than what you had. Our desire this week is to love God by loving people. Please stand with me this week wrap up. Let me make a couple things available. If you have never given your life to Jesus, we want to uh, give you that opportunity today. Maybe you have in the past, but you have not been living according to the covenant. You've not been keeping your side. And you say, I just need someone to pray with me that I would have the strength to battle and to compete, to fight and to, to pursue holiness. Maybe there's a circumstance going on. You need someone to pray with you. We will have a few people over on this side. They would love to pray with you. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. And we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you care for us. And that you take us from where we are. And you don't leave us here, but yet you... You place inside us a burning desire... For more of you, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, Amen.
2: Only a moment to live this life like shooting stars burning up the night till heaven's open.
1: dismiss